And here they come, getting to the outside, Wingson, Kemantari. And Kemantari's trying to stick with her, although she dropped him now. Kabeza Navarka takes the lead, 200 metres to run. But here she comes, Winks, right down the outside, powering away from them. Invictus Prince Dargeno and Kemantari. But how soft for Winks. There's 26 in a row for the champ. Wins the race named in her honour. And do you know what? When I uh, when I watched that this morning to get that recorded in, I realised how much watching Winks skewed our viewing on our view on racing. For so long, she just lapped them around the bend and then was eased down on the line. We're very lucky this morning to have Chris Waller on the line, out of his Rose Hill base ahead of the Winks Stakes today. The, the race named after her at Randwick. Chris, appreciate your time greatly. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well, Lou. Yep, it's a lovely morning in Sydney. We've had a little bit of rain through the week, but. Last two days have been fine, and um, as they say, not a cloud in the sky and not a breath of wind at this stage. It's uh, it's fantastic to hear because look, this is kind of the Group One season coming back, and I mean it's a, a race that obviously would mean a hell of a lot to you. I just wonder as the time goes on, do, do people still you know ask you about her every each and every day, or is it just starting to ease a little bit in our, our memories? Um, yeah, just times like this, I guess they reflect on it. And yeah. Um, yeah, she she is the first thing people talk about when when you come across them. If you meet them for the first time, or they've got some interest in racing, they want to know about links. And it's something you never get sick of talking about. She she was just an amazing horse that changed so many lives and gave a great following. And um, yeah, we were, we were we were lucky enough to be part of it. Morning, Chris. Michael here. Thank you for joining us, mate. Um, Group one racing is a strange thing because people often say it's like test rugby or test cricket. But these days, of course, there's races that aren't group ones that are worth an enormous amount of money, the most obvious being the Everest for $20 million. What does group one racing mean to you as a guy who's won virtually every big race? Like a day like today, is that effectively where the serious part of the season starts for you? And, and is winning a group one worth a million mean as much as winning a non-Group 1 Magic Millions with $3 million. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Um, very interesting question to start with, which I'd expect from you. <laughs> I, I tell uh, Christopher, that's what I'm here for, brother. <laughs> it, is, it is like Test Rugby um, and a Magic Millions... Worth three millions is close to it. Like it is a grand final, the Magic Millions. But other pop-up races, like I know in two weeks' time, no, four weeks' time, there's a million-dollar race called the Seven. Um, it's going to be a wait for age mile race. They've just put it on, and now became the million-dollar wait for age race could have many race runners like today but it will have very little significance at all um, so they will quickly cap, they will quickly gain momentum um, but there's nothing like a group one and uh, that's the only negative of like a 20 million dollar Everest and a 10 million dollar uh, Golden Eagle you go to bed that night and say gee that was a great win but Horse didn't get the group one recognition. So it's important that we get it. And going to New Zealand like the Karaka Millions, I'd love that race to be a group one and 
you get a million dollar bonus if you're bought at the Caracas sales through New Zealand Bloodstock or something like that because it, it, it's it is it's got such an important effect um, for a long long time and it touches all the generation the siblings and just puts so much value winning a group one into a into a page like you're talking 20 to 100 million depending on whether it's a filly or cult and all its siblings so you, if you can inject 100 million dollars into 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 the industry well it's a no-brainer isn't it Chris I've got, I've got a question for you about stallion making races and that sort of stuff later but you touched on a really important point to us because the Karaka Millions now become clearly our biggest day and there's now yep. a four-year-old race worth a million which is open to anybody the three-year-olds 1.5 yep. and a million for the two-year-olds does that whet your appetite or do you yep. expect any more um, want from your owners to have horses at that meeting now because of what it has become um, we will have a lot more demand to be there um, and I'll be pushing owners to take horses there because I know they'll have a good time once they get there. A million-dollar race, like you've got it in December, we've got the $2 million Ingham, which used to be the Villiers. So that's what they're in competition with. Plus, your better horses will be resuming um, a couple of weeks after in Sydney. So you might only get the second-tier horses, but you can still get some good second-tier horses that are still getting up to that level. So... Um, yeah, we'll be the, the, the four-year-old million-dollar race is a race we'll be targeting more so than the two-year-old race because our two-year-olds are sort of set for assignments here or they're not quite ready. But the, the, the four-year-old race in particular, and I think that'll quickly capture group status. Um, you can be clever and um, <clears throat> take over a race. So it might be like a, taking over a group three mile in New Zealand and, and name it the Karaka Millions four-year-old race and something, and all of a sudden it's got Group 3 stages mm. right from its inception, and it's a Group 1 in a few years. So probably would have been smarter to do something like that, but I dare not complain because it's a, a massive support <laughs> for the industry, and you'll see the industry quickly build on the back of these pop-up races and and likewise that day. Like that day, forget the twilight, that should be a 10-race program and really showcase New Zealand racing. There should be a Group 1 Phillies race the same day, and it meet, you only get the, the imagination on a few days from from the global, from international countries, in particular Australia. So why not make it showpiece? Really interesting thoughts, Chris. And I guess it raises the whole Group One versus pop up race. It, it raises an interesting question around you. You've had to evolve as a trainer plenty. Now, looking at the calendar, it's probably less traditional as it once was, knowing, oh, this is this sort of horse for this sort of race. There's so many more options. Is that, have you had to bring staff on? Have you had to involve involve Charlie or other members to kind of plot your horses? And I don't know where your numbers are at, but you've you got a lot of horses and now a lot of options. So does it make it more more complicated? Um, it does, yeah. But like you say, you've got people around you like Charlie that do a great job. I, I do the race programming myself <coughs> and delegate other jobs that I don't have time for to Charlie. So, yeah, the race right. programming is something that I think the coach needs to do because you've got to work out. Well, you can. I think one man can train 100 horses, and the old saying is two people can't train one horse. So you need to sort of have one person making the decisions and then use your team effectively around you. And, yeah, there's a lot of decisions to make. And, um especially with the Victorian 
racing calendar and the, the and the New South Wales calendar sort of competing against each other for the same horses. Interesting this year they're a week behind where they normally are, so um, it changes things a, a little bit. Um, like today you got the PJ Lawrence. We could have easily sent some of the Winks runners down there, but we decided to keep them home. I think we've got eight in the Winks and only one in the in the PJ Lawrence, and then their first Group 1 races in two weeks' time, so we might be able to send a couple of our ones down for there. So it's just a matter of trying to work out which ones are best suited to wear and and keeping in mind, it's hard to take them backwards and forwards, and you see that with the All Blacks, if they have to travel to Argentina um, and they come back and they're a bit flat. But these are all, all little things that you take into consideration because at the end of a long spring, um, a lot of hard racing does take its toll, so you've just got to try and pick and choose your, your targets, but at the same time, make sure they're competitive and can win some of those big races. Chris, one of the most ludicrous things about where you've ended up in your career is the fact that nobody's surprised you've trained an Everest winner and a Magic Millions winner six weeks apart. So it doesn't surprise anybody, which is totally insane. But probably the one thing which has um, become a far bigger part of your career in the last 18 months or two years has been the two-year-olds, and that was capped by Shinzo, of course, in the, in the golden, uh, golden slipper this year. Has that been uh, an approach you've gone to with Guy and some of the people around you, most predominantly the Coolmore Colt syndicates, and said we need to buy these better two-year-olds to win these two-year-old racing? Is it a different way you're training them, or is it a combination of both? Because there seems to be a lot more good... Chris Waller two-year-olds in the best races than they were five years ago? Yeah, um, It's a good question, Michael. And to, to, to answer it honestly, I don't think we've changed a lot. But yes, you're always trying to make subtle changes to, to improve the way you do things. So um, you first need a really good horse, and that's what Shinzo was. And militarised one the size and the champagne, and he's a damn good horse as well. So I do think though, with with a two-year-old, you need you need to form a pyramid pretty quickly, and that pyramid needs something near the top. If you can find the top quickly, everything sort of settles in around it, and you get your second-tier horses, third-tier horses, and the horses are simply no good because you can you can see straight away that they're not going to measure up. So, I think you'll see a two-year-old trainer each year do well because I reckon he gets he or she gets that pyramid set early. If you don't get your pyramid set early, you're constantly trying to push horses to try and find one to sort of get up there. And once you get one there, you sort of relax and everything seems to fall into place. So it's no different to like a, a coaching a footy team or a, or playing in a, in a team. You, you just need that confidence. And I think once you get on a bit of a roll, and it might be that season of two-year-olds or it might be the following season to say, well, gee, we didn't change much last year. I'm just going to do the same. I don't need to try and reinvent the wheel because what we did last week, last year worked and, and you just sort of get that comfort zone. So I think that's why you see certain trainers having more runners in the Melbourne Cup each year um, or certain trainers being two-year-old trainers because they're comfortable with what they do. We've just found that comfort zone and we've just got to try and stay in it now. We mentioned the fact earlier about the big money and, and the, the pop-up races, but for these good two-year-olds or three-year-olds to become massive stallion prospects, best example being home affairs, they need to win specific races and specific races well. Shinzo has already done that. Home affairs did it. Is it in the modern world for you, Chris, now 
that those cults and their Group 1 winning capabilities is almost your most important and pressure-filled job? Um, it is, it is, but you can't, you, you've just got to uh, reduce the wastage, which is making sure there's less injuries. You've got to make sure the horses get their opportunities and don't miss their, their, their targets. And I think that's that was something we were doing previously. We were missing the autumn. We were just a bit too late. And we were always strong in Queensland. And that, in turn, would make good three-year-olds and would catch up, fortunately. But, yeah, missing the targets was, was always tricky. So, um, yeah, it's just... There is pressure, but you can't you can't make a horse run fast. You can only just help help with the planning and keep things simple and and get them there without setting an impossible target. But again, you need you, the horse needs to be good enough. If that horse is not good enough, then you, you you can't. As I said, you can't make them run fast. Chris, I asked people to text in questions for you, and we've got about a thousand, so we can't ask you them because you've got to get back to your busy day. We might have, we might have to send you a mailbag that you have to answer in your spare time, if that's all right. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll do that. Uh, just before we let you go, though, obviously Wink Stakes. We can't talk about all the runners, as you said. You've got Francesco Gardi, who I think you mentioned the Caulfield Cup could be on the horizon. Osipenko, Lindemann. Got Montefilia, who you've picked up, a, a wonderful mare, Fangirl, um, Glowing Go, Going Global, and Princess Grace, and Hinged. So maybe if you just wanted to pick out a couple and, and let us know how they'd go today, and, and if you just had a couple that that spring to mind out of that lot, because I bear in mind you can't answer all of them yeah. before you go. Well, Fangirl's the, probably the favourite here in Australia. She's um, been running second to Anima in most of the races. Last season, as a four-year-old, she ran second in the Golden Eagle from like barrier twenty, and she's she's definitely the pin-up girl here at the moment, um, and expected to to be fighting out the finish. So she'd be our number one hope. She's got James McDonald aboard. Slightly tricky draw in gate eleven, but the draw shouldn't worry her too much. She's a, a sort of a, a relaxed horse that you. you you just get to find a rhythm and then build from there. So the draw is not too much of a concern. Um, and outside of her, like Ossipinko and Lindemann, they're both serious Group 1 Colts, but they've drawn 17 and 18. So just follow them. Lindemann will probably roll forward with Hugh Bowman back from Hong Kong to ride. Uh, he's, a, he's a genuine weight parade horse in the making, as is Ossipinko. He's a He's a he's a horse that didn't quite break through at that Group One level as a three-year-old, but he will at four. So outside of those, um, I think Hinge she's she's not far behind Fangirl. She's drawn perfectly, and it's a soft seven track, and that'll suit her. And it's a bit of a smoky, probably Princess Grace. She's getting in under the radar, good price, and she's an American horse who won impressively back in the autumn and she's come back a treat so and Francesco Gardi he's our Melbourne couple so just watch out for him and look look when he joins in as you said the Caulfield Cup but most importantly the Melbourne Cup Fantastic great to chat really really gracious with your time as always Chris good luck for today and the rest of the Group 1 season and, and we'll touch base again in no time really appreciate it Thanks, Thanks guys good to talk